This is Warrior's Way Podcast, episode 32, and I'm James Eek. Yamato Hotel, 27th June, 1934. Dear Mr. Koizumi, forgive me for typing this, but in the first place, it is so hot and damp that if I rest my arm on the table, it sticks to it, and secondly, because I have burnt my hand with a box of matches which burst into flame a few days ago. I had always understood that this was a safe country. But Japanese matches and automobiles are danger to life and limb. I've got so nervous of the matches, which set light to the whole box every time I strike just one, that together with the exhortations of my judo instructor, I should not be surprised if I were not finally induced to give up smoking altogether. I'm still in Kobe. This is really because everyone is so kind to me at the Butokuden, and Mr. Yamamoto is so patient with me that I do not feel inclined to leave here just yet. I enclose some newspaper cuttings, which may amuse you. The reporters have made rather a muddle of what I told them and all this talk about the stomach throw, the tomonagi, it's utter nonsense. It's the last thing I should do under any circumstances. And you may remember that when I see it coming, I generally give a scream of terror and give myself up. So on this memorial occasion, when all the Kobe police sat down to watch me with stupefaction and amazement, you may be sure that whatever I did, it was most certainly not the stomach throw. On the first occasion that I went there, I was with difficulty, persuaded to put on my judo costume. And when I did, I found to my horror that hundreds of men had left their practice of judo and kendo and were sitting in solemn rows waiting to see what I was going to do. Mr. Yamamoto looked quite unhappy also. He handled me as if I was a bomb that might explode at any minute. To make matters worse, A row of men with flashlight cameras were in attendance. And I've never wished myself out of a country as I wished myself far from Japan at that moment. Mr. Yamamoto allowed me to throw him about for a bit. And as I was feeling desperate, I attacked him with might and main, feeling that death itself would would be better than disgracing myself forever before such an assembly. When this had gone on for a short while, Mr. Yamamoto tried in a very gentle way to get me down, but I've not been kicked on the shins by Tanny for nothing, and I was determined to stand on my legs for as long as possible if I broke every bone in my body. During this awful experience, an august person, personage of high rank in judo who wore kimono and fanned himself placidly walked around us. In his face, I thought I was an expression of a distinct lack of enthusiasm, and to be honest, he terrified me. After this, I sat down to watch whilst an American wrestler tried his hand on Mr. Yamamoto and several others. This unhappy young man who had been foolish enough to boast publicly that he could do anything he liked with any judo man in the world once he got his arms around him. I heard him boasting and I warned him, but he wouldn't listen to me. For the next half hour, we watched him being handled like a child by various men who were picked out for that very purpose. 
I thought that the American was a bit unlucky to have fallen into the hands of fifth-degree black belt men, but I certainly thought that it served him right, as well as being relieved that it distracted attention from me and gave me time to recover my wind. And so now I go every morning to, to the Butoku Den at 8 o'clock, and Mr. Yamamoto gives me a lesson. He's very gentle and kind, but he no longer treats me as if I were a delicate piece of porcelain. In fact, after a couple hours, I feel as if I have been in the clutches of a playful elephant. He seemed rather astonished and embarrassed that I was not averse to groundwork, and he told me through an interpreter that it was because I was a woman and he thought I should object to it for that reason. And I told him that I did not consider myself to have any sex at all when I was doing judo. So he took heart, and then he sat on me for a time until I began to repent of my rashness, and now he shows me no mercy. He weighs over 200 pounds, and if he leans on me, I might as well try to remove a mountain. The other day there were contests, and I was invited to attend. I sat from 7 a.m., until 5 p.m. at a table with the judges. Thank heaven we didn't have to sit on the floor. And we had lunch with them in the interval. Many important judo men had come to watch, and they were very nice to me and gave me cards upon which they wrote their rank, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, Dan. And I gave them my card and wondered whether I ought to write white belt on it in large letters but decided on the whole that the least said was the soonest mended. Anyway, I'm getting used to them all now, and they are getting used to me. I've even recovered from the shock of finding that I was expected to share the bathroom, not to mention the bath, with the entire Kobe police force. And how lovely the Japanese bath is after exercise, especially the buckets and buckets of cold water, which I have to pour on myself afterwards. And everyone is so kind to me and send me flowers and presents and take me all over the place. Fortunately, there is a Japanese journalist here who speaks English perfectly and who I'm able to consult on the difficult question of proper behavior so that I do not do the wrong thing, at least not too often. I'm feeling very fit in spite of having burnt my hand, cutting my foot on broken glass, having an electric fan fall on my head the other day, and a few minor accidents of that kind. To say nothing of landing on my head this morning several times running when Mr. Yamamoto did the stomach throw. I suppose if he does it often enough, I shall learn to fall on some other part of my anatomy. At least that seems to be his theory. He's aided in his lessons by a number of others who stand around and tell him what I'm doing wrong if he can't see for himself. Under this treatment, there would be hope for me yet if I were 20 years younger. But as it is, they are keeping me in very good condition, which is the main thing, with collarbones being broken on all sides of me and shoulders and elbows being put out of joint every other day by these strenuous young men. I haven't the face to protest when I bump my head, or to squeal with fright when I see the stomach throw coming. And if I break my neck, I break it, and that's all there is to it. One lesson I have certainly learned since I left home, and that is that I am not so fragile as I thought, 
and that it is amazing what dangers one can come through unharmed. That I ever returned from the interior of China and got by Tibet is a miracle in itself. And now when I sit in a Japanese motor car and it careers through the streets at 60 miles an hour, I just think that if we have a head-on collision, we have one. That's all there is to it. At one time, I should have sat there and every muscle in my body at tension and with my nerves worn to a shred. I suppose that it's because I'm in good health and enjoying myself and because nothing very serious has happened to me so far. If there were otherwise, I might feel different. They say that no man is a philosopher with a toothache. I've written you a terribly long letter, but I thought I, it might interest you to hear about it all. 9th of January, Setagaya, 1935. Dear Mr. Koizumi, the time is passing quickly now, and in less than four months I shall be getting ready to leave Japan. The new year dawned in beautiful weather, and for several days it was as warm as spring. The thermometer in my room registered 65 degrees without any heating, but our pleasure was somewhat marred by earthquakes, which occurred every day for the first four days of the year. A volcano, which had been supposed to be extinct for many years, has recently shown signs of being very much alive, and people are afraid that it may mean a bad earthquake. I only hope that it won't happen whilst I am here. The small ones are bad enough, and it takes years off my life when we all have to leap up in the night and fly to the door ready to take to our heels before the house falls down. Neither do the frequent warnings instructions and advice that the Hara family gave me as the best way to escape if the worst comes to the worst, do anything to reassure me, but merely add to my fears. Winter practice started at the Kodokan on the 5th of January at the ungodly hour of 5 o'clock in the morning. And so far, Ichiro and I managed to get there. The lovely warm weather vanished in ice, and a bitterly cold wind took its place, doubtless in honor of the occasion. However, I have an electric stove in my room, and we prepare coffee overnight and keep it in a thermos flask so we are able to start off fairly warm. As all the great men in judo world go there to encourage their rest, I am able to practice with the elite, who are all very kind and spoil me thoroughly. There are 600 men attending the winter exercises, and as I am the only female allowed in the men's dojo, there are no women there, which is just as well, for I cannot imagine what the tiny Japanese women from the ladies' dojo would do if they were swallowed up in that throng. Even I, who am about the same size as most of the men, am beginning to look the worse for wear. I'm covered in bruises. I've got a black eye. When I told the photographers that I did not want to have any photographs taken until my eye resumed its normal color, it transpired that they had not realized that I had heard it, but thought it was a new style and makeup for European ladies to paint one eye a bright purple and leave the other untouched. And really, when I see the blood-red fingernails that the American women wear here, I'm not surprised that the Japanese should think us capable of such eccentricity. In the photograph, however, although you can see it, it just looks like a shadow, I think.
We get away from the Kodokan at 7 and come home for breakfast. And at 11, I have lessons in kata from Mr. Sato, who is a six-degree black belt, who is considered to be very good at it. He keeps me at it until 3 o'clock, and as the, f- as the form I am doing now is all sitting down, or what they call kneeling, my knees have got hardly any skin left on them. And the things that I am taught to do to my opponent are what no lady could do to another. One of the things that I find most difficult is to utter ki So far, all that I have achieved is a very sore throat, and the sound that emerges from it is rather like the yapping of a very small dog. When my opponent does it, it startles, it startles me so much that I forget what I have to do next, and we have to start all over again. But Mr. Sato is also teaching some of his other pupils, and I am encouraged to see that they are quite as stupid as I am. Indeed, he says, they are worse. With kind regards, yours very sincerely, Sarah Mayer. On Wednesday, the 27th of February in 1935, Sarah Meyer was promoted. And by the way, she's a British, was a British actress and a playwright. And she was promoted to Shodan, black belt in judo. She was the first foreign woman to be so honored. And shortly afterwards, she returned to Britain. Pretty amazing. Mayer was um, first trained in judo in 1926 in London at a place called the Budokwai by Mr. Koizumi, who it is that she is writing to. Now, I've been lucky enough to have traveled and trained at some of the best places um, to study martial arts in the world. And I've been surrounded by martial arts celebrities and more than a few champions. And I can tell you what it feels like wondering if you were in the wrong place, that you somehow don't belong, that you should have thought about all of this a little more. I also know what it feels like being made to feel welcome, helped, and aided by the same people. And Sarah Mayer must have felt all of this and likely more. She was in another country at a time when travel to Japan for a Western woman on her own was likely far less common than we can imagine. And she was there for a good two years studying judo with truly the greats, including the founder, Jigoro Kano. To think that she did that at that time, if you put it into perspective, not from today, but in 1930s, it's mind-boggling. Add to all this that she's a Western woman in a somewhat rough-and-tumble martial art. If you want to imagine what it's like to stand out, you have to be brave and you have to prove yourself. You don't have to look much further than Sarah Mayer. I think she's pretty much the definition of bravery, if you ask me. The attention that Mayer received through media attention in Europe in very tangible ways, it opened the door 
for the coming wave of interest in the martial arts by Westerners, both male and female, to study in the martial arts. To think that she didn't play a part in that would be pretty naive. Unfortunately, all that remains that I can seem to track down from her time spent there are these letters. Um, She did help with um, what was to be the, I believe it was the 1936 Olympics for wrestling. Um, And then she wrote a play and then things kind of just vanish as to what she did after that. And she passed away at about age 60 or 61 in 1957. Uh, Mera's interest and dedication to studying judo, which she did not only do with, you know, some of these fifth and sixth degree black belts, but also, like I said, Jigoro Kano, that it, it's ins- inspirational to me, and I can't see how it can't be inspirational to others. I can't understand how she hasn't become the subject of a movie. <laughs> um, it was a whole different world in Japan before the war. Um, and it must have been something to see her training with the men because at that time there was a, a woman's section to judo and the women stayed together and then there was the men. And there she is on the mats being chucked around or chucking people around. Um, anyone who's ever stepped into a dojo for the first time knows how it can be. Taking that first step is the most difficult. And then taking it the next step and devoting yourself to the art that you've fallen in love with. Now that's something else. She started judo in 1926 in London. That's pretty impressive in and of itself. Then taking a two-year trip, (laughs) and I should mention on her her, uh, millionaire husband's coin, And she got divorced just after she came home. Surprise, surprise. Um, but that, that, that's some kind of commitment. I would hope that she continued training the rest of her life. Picking up and traveling alone to Japan in 1933 for almost two years, training all day, that's something else completely. Um... The lesson that I take away from Sarah Mayer is if you want to train, do it. Don't let anything stop you from your goal. If you love it, dive right into it and get everything you can. Gender, race, age, physical limitations, upbringing, background, none of it matters. Martial arts can change our lives completely if we let it. And it's something that is for everybody. And I have to say, if any of you have ever had your life changed thanks to being taught the martial arts by a woman martial artist, you have a lot of thanks to send to Sarah Mayer. 
She's definitely a legend and an important historical icon of the growth and the spread of martial arts to the world. Look into her, and better yet, dig into her and find out more. And if you find out more about her, let me know. I'd love to know more. I've read her letters over and over over the years. Um, and I've always, and obviously there's, there's photos of her out there. Um, it would be really amazing to find out what happened to her and what she did when she came home in terms of her judo. I would really hope she never, never stopped. So let's move on. Today's question is, what should I do when things get hard? Well, the answer to that is simple. You don't quit. You don't give up. Things in your life that are good, that change your life, people who enrich you, these are things that you hold on to. Is it easier to quit and give up? Yeah, of course. But does that make your life any better? Does quitting make your life better? No. No, it doesn't. When we find that there are things that are important to us, that we love, we hold on to them. We don't give them up. Even if it is hard, even if it takes time, or maybe especially because of it. Some things in life simply take time. Sometimes what we need to learn is to be patient. And we need to appreciate what we have and the time we get to build things. The easiest thing is to give up, to cut and to run and to cut the tough things out of our lives. But you know when something is special and when something is rare. You can feel it all around you. You can feel time stop. You miss it all the time. You want more of it. So you can push that away. You can talk yourself into believing that giving up is for the best, but you're forgetting one simple fact. You had a gem in your hand that is perhaps meant to be the greatest gift in your life. When things get hard, you don't give up. Be patient. Hold on to the hard things that you know are good for you. If things that aren't good for you, well, that's a little bit different. But those hard things that are good for you, stick with it. Things will work out if you just keep on. Don't give up on the things and the people that matter. I think that's the lesson that you learn from training in the martial arts. And if you learn anything, I think that's a good one to learn. I'm definitely sure that Sarah Mayer learned that lesson. You don't give up. Keep going. Get dropped on your head. Is this good for me? Good. Keep going. Get up. Keep going. All right, so I think we'll end there.
I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I wanted to do a podcast on Sarah for a while, but she, there's no book that she's written and, you know, there's not very many articles about her. Um, but I, I, I think reading some of her letters, I think you get a, a view into who she was and what she was made of. And I think that is an amazing thing to still have that after all these decades. Um, she's definitely a tough one. The easiest thing she could have done is ran home. Or the easiest thing she could have done is, you know, done the tourist thing in Japan and pretended that, you know, that was what she wanted. But instead, she stuck with what was hard and kept at it. And look what happened. It took time and it took effort. Day in, day out. And she got that black belt. And for the rest of time, as long as there's a thing called judo, Sarah Mayer is the first foreign woman to earn her black belt in judo. And that is something. So if you're liking this uh, podcast, I'm going to ask you a favor. Go on to your Apple podcast and give it five stars and give it a review. I know you listen to this thing because I can, I keep track of people listening. <laughs> it's my only payoff. Um, but if you could do a review, that'd be great. That helps me out immensely because it also helps spread the word and it shows up in searches and all that kind of stuff. Because this podcast is about helping you get more from your life. And if you've gotten, you know, something out of this, let's uh, help other people find it. So if you could do that, that would be great. Uh, Another thing you can do is spread word, you know, share it on your social media, let the people in your dojo know about it. Um, Tell your friends and strangers on the street that Warriors Way podcast is a good one. (laughs) Other thing, I started up a Facebook page where you can uh, track me down, submit a question, all that kind of stuff. Uh, You can find that the usual way. We have a website that is slowly being built. And the last thing is that if you like this kind of stuff that I talk about on these podcasts, I've written a few books um, about such things. You can find those on Amazon or on Kindle, Kobo, and all of that stuff. You just have to look for James Eek, or you can search for Warrior's Way. And that's the name of my first book. The other one uh, is A Wolf in the Woods. I've got a couple more that are sitting there already written. Uh, Hopefully they'll get out as soon as possible. Um, So I think we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for listening. Get out there and train. Not only that, but live a good life. Be a good friend to people. Do some good things. Train hard and have fun. Thanks a lot.